0: Another game in Las Vegas for the Summer Suns and another strong performance by Tumani Kamara on today's episode of Locked On Suns. Breaking down game number two in Las Vegas for the Phoenix Suns and the Suns get younger once again in the front office. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Kleene, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast, A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Post game, a little later, but we are here after game number two of the Phoenix Suns Summer League schedule, another one coming Tuesday. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding this show to get a recap of that game and a show in your feed every single weekday throughout the offseason. And beyond, just search Locked On Suns wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. We're free and available everywhere. We're going to talk about a hire that the Phoenix Mercury made and what that tells us about Matt Ishbia to close out the show. But there was, once again, a lot to discuss regarding the Summer League performance of this team. So I'm going to start with the rookie. I'm going to start with the guy we all have our eyes on once again. That is Tumani Kamara. The number 250 the number 52 overall pick number two overall pick would be a nice addition to this team don't you think well the actual number two overall pick look looking a little questionable but Kamara today overall a little bit of a worse a little bit of a less consistent performance than he had against Milwaukee on Saturday but nevertheless promising and solid and 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 something to build on 10 sorry 11 points. Three rebounds, three assists, two steals. Did have six turnovers, did have five personal fouls in his 32 minutes. So there's a lot to break down there. Um, Let's start with how I think he's looked the best. I have some just general thoughts on his game and then really going to get into sort of what have we actually learned about this dude and sort of what what he might actually be on the Suns regular season team because that's what matters the most here, of course. But... Summer League is an opportunity to do some things and, and show the team some things that down the line they might try to develop out of you or who knows, you know, maybe you flash enough that you do start to get considered for rotation minutes. I'm not sure if that's in the cards for Kamara, but he's at least impressed me with a few things. I think we can say for sure that he has looked best in some of these situations, whether it's transition um, you know, out kind of on broken play offensive rebound stuff or in the more of a half court setting as a role man or a dribble handoff initiator sort of at the top of the key. Just, you know, with the his defenders playing off of him because, you know, he's not really a threat to shoot or handle the ball. Basically, when he's able to get into space and let his feel, which is much better than I realized, and the the fluid athleticism that he obviously has when that stuff can just take over you can just see him lock in like he <clears throat> he looks genuinely comfortable and yes so he had a couple of mental mistake turnovers today it wasn't just you know summer league stuff like there was a i believe a pass under the basket out to the back out to the perimeter that that he just threw threw in the wrong place you know just just didn't have He didn't have the read that he thought he had and kind of just threw the ball away. You know, there were a couple like that. He did turn the ball over more today than he did the other day, as I said. So those are rookie mistakes. Those are things where, like I was saying, with the ball in his hands and, and being more of a featured piece, which is what he was as a upperclassman in college, but I'm sure he had some high turnover games in those contexts too. It's just a young player who's, Doing things with the ball that that maybe they aren't actually destined to do in their pro career at the highest level, but that's fine. The shooting stuff to me uh, is hard to measure as well, right? So he's one from seven, one of seven from deep so far, six of twelve from the free throw line. But at the same time, he has this touch that is that is obvious. And the dude, as I mentioned on yesterday's show with Brandon Duane, he Kamara's straight up ambidextrous. Like I, I joked online during the game, like this is a dude like like we see in MLB when guys are switch hitters and it, you know, it says S on their on their batting hand. It should say that in the Suns like official player roster guide this year. Because it should say hand S like he really has it with both hands and he's comfortable getting to a little kind of bunny floater game off the glass or straight in whatever it is kind of backing somebody down and getting to it and I think it's primarily over his right shoulder. And even then he can kind of do over the right shoulder with his right hand. Like he just kind of has this knack for for getting the ball in the into the hoop around the basket, which bodes well for his shot to me. You know, when he's able to just let it fly in a in a fluid motion when he's wide open, that shot looks fine. There is something to build off of there. It is not some sort of broken. I mean, you even think if you've watched the Thompson twins this weekend, right, at Summer League, whether it's Osser in in Detroit or Amen in Houston, those guys are, it's an open question whether that jumper ever comes along. Like, this is not what it is with Tamani Kamara, right? So I look at one of seven from deep, six of 12 from the free throw line, and that just feels like summer league, you know, the first time that he's playing. In the pros, I'm sure he had streaks at Dayton where he was one of seven from deep and six of 12 from the free throw line. He's just not an elite shooter yet. He maybe never will be. But if you can get him to average, a lot of this stuff starts to look a lot better. So with that, let's get to what we've kind of learned about the dude. And there's another game on Tuesday, which I will watch and recap for all of you. And they should have at least uh, they have a Friday game. And then I think at least one more over the next weekend depending on how much they win, I guess. I, I honestly can't remember the last time the Suns made a deep run with this thing or that at least the important players were playing deep. So I can't, I honestly don't know the, the full uh, summer league layout of all of this, but I'm excited to continue to watch. Either way, though, I think we've learned some things about this guy and what his kind of role is and everything in the NBA. To me, he's more of a, and this is something Frank Vogel said in his interview uh, on during Saturday night's game, but he He's more of a wing slash forward than a big man, right? This isn't a perfect comp. Maybe I think I think this is because they're both lefties that my head went here too, but uh, he kind of reminds me of Rondé Hollis Jefferson with a little bit better feel than Rondé, and that's an, a, a U of A guy, so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar. He never really cut it in the league. I think he's a little bit smaller and probably a little bit less of an athlete as well than than Kamara, but that's that's sort of what we're looking at here, I think. The best thing about him, though, despite being, you know, like, he's not frail out there, but he's, he's thinner, Kamara, and, you know, isn't necessarily a big man, like I just said, he still plays a very physical style of basketball, and to me, that should make his learning curve a lot less severe in the pros, like, Again, he has not answered those shooting questions, but there's plenty of time for that, especially in, in camp and during the preseason when he's actually playing more of a spot-up role versus the role man stuff and the DHO stuff and the you know offensive rebounding and transition stuff that he's doing now. If, if he's just sort of out in the corner or whatnot, I think he'll, he'll just be able to lock into, hey, catch and shoot, you know? But the biggest thing is he just doesn't look lost on an NBA court right now and he has a high floor, you know, I think just being productive and looking comfortable out there and being able to fill a variety of roles for this summer league team, not to mention what he's going to potentially be able to do alongside superstars, like that just says to me that giving him the guaranteed contract, taking him in the draft, all of that stuff is a smart move by the Suns because this seems like somebody who, at minimum, is worthy of an NBA contract in his first couple of years and has a pretty solid foundation to build and develop off of, and that's all you can ask for for a pick in the 50s. Let's zoom out. Let's talk about the Suns' offense and the Suns' defense because that's sort of the other thing you can get from Summer League is, yeah, there's some head-scratching decisions. There's not a lot of chemistry. There's not a lot of overall talent, but we can see what the players are trying to execute. How different, how similar is that on each end of the floor to what the Suns did under Monty Williams. And maybe it might surprise you that there are some similarities. Talk about that next first today's show brought to you by Ibotta. Ibotta saves you money, point blank, plain and simple. That is their mission. That is what they do best. We all know that, frankly, everything has gotten more expensive lately. But if you're finally taking that summer vacation you've been planning, dreading buying all the necessities, whether that's we're going to Seattle in the summer, in a few weeks, and somehow I got to bring a raincoat in the middle of August to a vacation destination as a Phoenician. That's uh, that's a little tough to stomach. I do have one, but there's an umbrella, all these different things. Enter Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items, as well as produce, personal care, pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Link your loyalty account, upload your receipt. Either way, Get your cash back. It's that easy with Ibotta. The average Ibotta user earns $120 back per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, maybe a little bit of those extra costs related to a trip. You could get cash back to buy a flight ticket you've been uh, eyeing, the game you've been dying to go to. Maybe take somebody nice out for a fancy dinner. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much, but with Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards to places like Lowe's. Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 initially just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store, Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app, use that code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Player App Store. Use the code LOCKED to get $5 straight to your account. Keeping it rolling, let's talk schemes. All right, I'm going to start on the offense. I'm going to start on the defensive end. No matter what lineup is out there right now for the Suns or what the whatever lineup might be out there in the regular season or whatever we think of as sort of the Suns' base coverage with that lineup or with a situation that that's coming up to them in a, in, a, in a in a game or whoever's on the court in the opponent opposing lineup. The word of the year for Phoenix is going to be aggressiveness. On the defensive end. I think that was something I've been harping on since they hired Frank Vogel, but it feels even more clear now. And you can just feel it watching these games, right? I tweeted a clip at Brennan Clean 14 today that just felt like a really good example of it. It was definitely not, you know, a big highlight from Kamara or any sort of thing of me trying to look at one guy's standout performance. It was just a straight up good example of a much more I don't even necessarily want to say much more aggressive but a very clearly more aggressive version of help defense than the Suns have played under Monty Williams and maybe it's just size too right maybe it's some of it, some of it is the lineups and just the fact that you're having you know guys like Brett Usher or I'm sorry Jordan Usher and um Tamani Kamara and Trey Jemison all out there together at times so that's a lot of size you know and it's going to be that too but the help is coming more forcefully There's just much more energy with the rotations and force helping toward the ball, right? The Summer Suns right now, like they're using a more basic scheme with Jemison because he is, he's a pretty mobile guy, but I mean, he is a, a heavy seven footer. So you're not going to have him switching or blitzing out on the perimeter. He's, he's in a drop right against the pick and roll, but that's probably going to be the case with eight and two. If it's that, you know, we talked about it with Damon Allred last week in terms of, you know, no middle or, you know, some of these eliminate the paint types of defensive schemes that that teams use. And I sort of anticipate that I, in terms of, I guess, like the most basic traditional defense. I do think Vogel will be more willing and able to adjust on the fly defensively than Monty Williams was. But even when they're switching, right, which... There will be there. The Suns threw a zone out there at one point and kind of got toasted, but they did that, you know, so they're even trying some stuff in summer league. But it, let's say that there is more switching when it's the, the, the starters, right? We know Booker can switch a little bit. We know Durant is probably uh, still able to do that, you know, and that Ayton is we're all chomping at the bit to see DeAndre Ayton defend multiple positions there still needs to be help in the paint, right? To snuff out mismatches that happen when you switch, force turnovers. If guys are sort of trying, you know, what, what switching does is it creates isolation for the opposing, for the opponent because they want to attack that mismatch or, you know, they don't have a, a great way of running their stuff because guys are, are in different spots and being defended by different people. You don't want to re-switch the same thing. So it ends up devolving into isolations a lot. That's part of why you do it. And so you can force a turnover. You can help at the basket when somebody is blown by their their mismatch. If Ayton's stranded out on the perimeter trying to defend, you know, John Morant or something... That help still needs to be there. And so I think coupling the creativity with the aggressiveness is going to be pretty exciting, and I think it's going to happen. The Suns were 10th in forcing turnovers last year. not uh, Actually, I think 12th. I think I might have had that wrong. And not that big of a difference. Fouled the most in the NBA is the more important statistic there. And I think both numbers should move in an even better direction. You know, I, I think we underestimate in the regular season how much being coached well and having veteran players goes such a long way defensively. You know the Bulls were the, a top three defense in the NBA last year, right? That that they, no one thinks that they're a top three most talented defensive team, most athletic defensive team, but they did it, right? Because they had Alex Caruso, they played uh, two, you know, they played real centers the whole game between Vucevic and Drummond. And they just executed what they were trying to do. They rebounded everything else. Like that's going to be enough. It's really that creativity and, and change up that you need to have when the playoffs come around. But I think even if it's young veterans like Bates Diop or Josh Kogi in there, you're going to see a competent defense. And I think that aggressiveness can go toward helping things in in a different way than the Suns used to play defense, right? I mean, again, 10th is no nothing to to shy away from, but the year the Lakers won the championship, they were top three in forcing turnovers in the regular season, right? So that number bumps up into closer to top five range. You stop fouling quite as much because you're playing, um, you know, probably just more disciplined defense. Obviously the Suns had a bunch of injuries and had to play inexperienced guys last year. So if that trends in the right direction, they force more turnovers. You're starting to put together an even better defense than what they had last year, despite what we think of as worse talent. You know, I mean, just think about it this way, right? Bradley Beal, we know that he's probably the biggest question mark defensively in, in the Sun starting lineup, unless Payne starts. But if it's Beal and Booker as the guards, then Beal's going to be the question mark. How much worse is, is Bradley Beal as a defender than Chris Paul at age 37? I don't know. You know, how much worse is K Bates-Diop than Cameron Johnson? You know, I, I just, I think we might've been overstating some of that. And, and that's part of why you bring Vogel in in the first place. Offense, let's go to that side of the ball. One of the, the, the obvious differences plays off of what we were just talking about with Tumani Kamara, using him as a screener, using him as a role man, using him as a playmaker, and then sort of having an additional big, in this case, a lot of the time, Jemison, in the dunker spot or, you know, whatever, as a screener additionally, all these different things. Like, that's a little bit different than what the Suns did. I mean, we saw Dario Sharj and Frank Kaminsky be used that way, but they were typically the only big man you know, they were the center and that helped you space the floor. There wasn't, Scharich didn't play with Aiton a lot and Kaminsky didn't play with Aiton a lot, at least the past year and a half or so. So that's different. But a lot of the other stuff is very similar. And uh, shout out to David Nash, the four-point play on Twitter, who I'm sure a lot of you follow. He's very smart and and has a keen eye for the, the offensive sets and defensive uh, schemes that the team has run over the years. And even he pointed out that, they're running stuff for Kamara this year, a kind of a fake baseline pin down screen into a seal off in the post for a, a kind of a quick little layup that they used to run for Kelly Oubre. And even if you assume the continuity on the offensive side might result from Kevin Young sticking around, which obviously that's part of why you keep him around. He wasn't here when Kelly Oubre was on the team in Monty's first season, right? Right. And obviously, a lot of NBA stuff gets recycled. Like it's not even necessarily something. Well, Kevin Young watched film of Kelly Oubre. No, this stuff is is just out there. There's only so many ways to scheme up an offense in in basketball. You know, it's about how do you use the parts together and everything else. But at, at the very least, it's an early indication that the Suns will operate a lot of their motion pick and roll scheme this season once again with Kevin Young here. Because it's not just that Kelly Oubre scheme, right? There's a lot of you know, multiple screens up at the top of the key with the ball handler where one guy, you know, whether it's double drag or horns or some of these things where you're using two screeners in some kind of misdirection, and then maybe there's an extra screen for one of those guys that results in a shooter popping open and then something else on the weak side. Like, we've all watched the Monty Williams offense. It feels like they're going to roll out a version of that again. And I understand there's some reticence when I say that. Maybe some people are... Not thrilled about that, but the talent is going to get them there. I think my question is one: this is great news for the shooters. I don't have any questions there. My question, though, is kind of whether Booker, Beal, and Durant stick with that over the course of a season. Because I think there's a reasonable argument to be made if I'm those three guys, like we don't really need much in the way of like infrastructure and and really really mapped out offense. Like we can kind of roll the ball out and, and get this done now. I'm of the opinion that even with great players, some type of structure is going to be for the better. It's going to get easier, open more open shots for people. It is going to result in the role players being optimized and involved and engaged and empowered, but the Nets were pretty darn good you know, for, for long stretches of multiple seasons, even though it did not pan out in the playoffs with Durant, Irving, and Harden effectively just playing, you know, basic pick and roll and, or ISO stuff. Like when you have the talent, it can be that. So I kind of, it's going to be one of the things I'm watching. If we do indeed see this team run a similar version of the offense, is there a patience with that? Or is it sort of just like, Hey, Let's just get a mismatch and go to work. And we'll each score 25 plus this year. And, you know, we'll win games 125, 115 regularly. And we'll know, we'll kind of build up our, our flexibility for the postseason. I don't know. And it's not, not even a, a knock on those guys if that's what they wanted to do. The Suns made a hire today. Well, the Mercury made a hire. Matt Ishbia made a hire. But it tells us more about this organization big picture. I'll tell you what I mean next. First, another quick break. Closing out the show, Nick Uren, Uren, I don't know how to say his name. I never have hired to be the, the general manager of the Phoenix Mercury from the Golden State Warriors. But prior to the Golden State Warriors, Nick Uren actually was with the Suns. So it is something of a homecoming. He also did video stuff at the same time for the Mercury. And so he is coming full circle a little bit. I believe he grew up in Tempe. Very cool, very interesting on a lot of different levels. One being the move from the NBA to the WNBA. And I think that's actually a good place to start. I don't know the details. I'm not reporting this. I, I, I don't even want to report this. I think we can just assume very very safely that if a person, even somebody who has a, a, a potential affinity for the WNBA, which is rare, you know, not everybody has come through women's basketball He has, so even if you assume he had more of a willingness to make a jump like this than some others would, Uren being hired from a prestigious cash-overflowing franchise in the Golden State Warriors in their basketball operations department to come and be the general manager of a WNBA team, let's just say there was probably a fairly significant offer financially that was made here. I don't know if Ishbia be beat what Uren was making as a, as a front office member with the Warriors, but it would not surprise me if he did. And to me, that's, I mean, it, it's not to me, that that just very clearly would signal a legitimate investment. I mean, that is how you are seeing I'm, people like the uh, Mark Davis, right, with the Las Vegas Aces builds a, a huge practice facility that is exclusively for the aces it is on the premises of the the Raiders uh you know campus but it is solely for the aces one of the best in the in the W it would be it would be one of the better ones in the NBA from what the drone footage and and, and the maps and stuff that they've put out would indicate he has hired Becky Hammond to be the high, highest paid WNBA coach in the league he has also hired fairly prolific, women's basketball lifers to run the front office and everything else. And that is what you've seen work. Um, I would say Joe Sy on in the Liberty side, he hired Sandy Brondello who was the head coach in Phoenix and he is invested in a legitimate front office over there and everything else. Like these are the ways where there is no restrictive salary cap and financial limitations that are imposed on let's say the players of the WNBA right so it is one of the ways in which similar to what we've seen Ishbia do with luxury tax payments and TV deals and legal battles and all these different types of things it is another example of him kind of putting his money where his mouth is right and saying from day one he said we will spend the money that it will take to be a world class organization and the mo- and the winning we will win and spend the money and the rest of the return on that investment will come in time, right? That's sort of where his perspective has been that he needs to spend to win and then the winning will make his money back. And he seems to believe that that's the case in in terms of bringing somebody experienced and smart and good to the Mercury organization. The other part of this that's interesting just Big picture and and kind of looking across the moves that Ishbia has made since he got here. I mean, if look no further than his own demographics, if you will, right? He is one of the younger owners in the league. He is a pretty young guy to be as wealthy as he is, all things considered. You know, yes, there are the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but typically people do not amass the type of wealth needed to make a bid on a team that is valued at $4 billion in their early 40s, right? Uh, their college coach is not typically still coaching college basketball when they get to the point where they're rich enough to buy a sports franchise, you know, if you're following me here. So he is a young guy and it is no surprise that he has followed suit with youth in these other spots. Josh Bartlestein is the president of the team who replaced Jason Rowley. And, Ish- uh, and, and Bartlestein seems to be pretty darn involved with this stuff. you know. Uh, the the Beal trade, obviously, with the connection of Bartlestein being the son of, of Beal's agent was kind of a meme, kind of funny, kind of crazy. But ever since then, you continue to see his name referenced. He is courtside with Beal and Morgan Cato, who's an assistant GM of this team. In some of the footage, you, you saw courtside from the Suns' first summer league game. We did not exactly see Jason Rally sitting next to James Jones and Devin Booker courtside at Summer League in years past, right? That was just not the role that he played. Front-facing front and involved in the basketball side and everything else. So that is a young person who is doing this. I mean, even James Jones is fairly young. The coaching staff that Frank Vogel has assembled is fairly young. I just think that is where this organization is headed, right? You think back. There was a time when you know, the last great team the Suns had, it was Lon Babby, right? As, as the, the lead executive coming off of Steve Kerr, who wasn't, you know, wasn't exactly old at that point, but, but not young either, um, had just been the GM. Alvin Gentry was the head coach. Again, this was 15 years ago. I know Alvin Gentry was not, you know, retirement age at that point, but an older guy. And obviously Rowley and Sarver and everything else. And it just, I think, reasonably could have been stated, and I think this is where some of the problems with the HR stuff and the allegations of Sarver came from, of just a an old, stale environment. And so it is, it is an obvious trend here between Bartlestein and the other part of this with you, Ren, is he's, re- he's replacing Jim Pittman. Jim Pittman had been the GM of the Mercury for about a decade, and he's also the CFO of the Suns, right? So that kind of dual role, we have our little kind of we have our, our group and it's impenetrable and, and kind of this paranoia and, you know, no outsiders allowed. Like, that's what this Suns organization was. I'm not putting that on Pittman specifically, but he's he's one of the guys who's been around for a very long time. And so him leaving is also part of this. It's getting younger. It is getting more more diverse in terms of different experiences from around the league, whether that's Morgan Cato from the league office, whether that is Gerald Madkins from the scouting and different types of backgrounds, whether that is Bartlestein, who is a very young guy who obviously has the agent dad as well as the president uh, kind of business and basketball experience with the Pistons, to now Uren, who was in video and scouting and then worked his way up to the front office for a championship team in, in Golden State and now is running the Mercury. It's an interesting... It's an interesting approach. I mean, it is much more adventurous and sort of creative and, again, youthful hiring than Sarver ever did. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it is a trend. Investment, I would say, is right if you're going to own a sports team. The youthful stuff, we'll see. Uh, It's working for them so far. They've assembled a lot of talent on this roster. They have made investments in the right types of things. In terms of their decision-making, we'll see where it goes from here. That'll wrap us up. Another Summer League game coming tomorrow. Hit follow, hit subscribe, get a recap of that game and Kamara's next performance in your feed post-game and a show every single day of the week throughout the rest of the offseason and beyond. I will catch you all tomorrow.